Good afternoon. Welcome to Barah Ministries, an intimate local Christian church with worldwide impact. My name is Pastor Rory Clark. Let's begin our celebration in prayer. We're grateful, Heavenly Father, for the privilege of celebrating one of your servants, John Wayne Mercure. Thank you for gathering us together today, whether we're here in person or whether we're celebrating on recorded video or live stream. Thank you for reminding us with the death of a person who is one of your precious possessions that we will all close our eyes in this life for a final time one day. Thank you for helping us to live life to the fullest in the meantime with your guiding hand to direct us, even when we don't know you, even when we don't invest any of our time in spiritual things. Help us call to mind our fond memories of John today as we celebrate him. Tell him we all say hello, and we're a little bit envious that he has begun his eternal journey with you and without us. Help us live as John lived, sucking all the marrow out of life and living life all in. We ask this through the power of God, the Holy Spirit, in Christ's name. Say it with me. Amen. Amen. Well, we're celebrating John Wayne Mercure. And what that means is we're celebrating a person. John, uh, there, there could be nothing more fitting than to celebrate John because John was a walking celebration. He left us at 80 years young, and those of us who loved him will definitely miss him. Mostly we'll miss the bigness of his presence. I got to know John a bit over the last five years, and I found him to be a person with a personality that is larger than life. And every time he saw me, his mouth was filled with encouragement, which uh, as a pastor, I have a lot of gratitude for. And I just loved being in the same room with him. His daughter, Terry, said that her father was always fighting for others and was really intolerant of bullies. He certainly had the predisposition to step up for other people. John's granddaughter, Andrea Corona, described him perfectly. You definitely knew when John was in the room. (laughs) My son, Zachary, was working with John on the weekends over the last six months or so to record his sonnets. And when Zachary heard of John's death, it knocked him for an emotional loop for three days. And that's the effect that John had on people. John was a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, and one of my favorite things when interacting with him was hearing about how much he loved the Lord. The Lord loved John as well. Psalm 116, verse 15 says, Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of one of his godly ones. A godly one is a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, and because John was a believer in Christ, there's no real need for us to grieve today. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13 says this, We don't want you to be uninformed, believers in Christ, about those who are asleep, those who have physically died, so that you will not grieve as do the rest who have no hope. For unbelievers, the fear is that they may never see their loved ones again. The fear is the unknown. What will happen to me when I close my eyes in this life? For believers in Christ, We have complete confidence 
in the promises of the Lord concerning what happens when we move on from here into eternity. And we know with absolute certainty that we will see our loved ones again who are in heaven. The Lord promised John and all his believers a home for all eternity. And he comforts those of us who are staying behind in John chapter 1, verses 1 to 3. Do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God the Father and also believe in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. The Greek says mansions. And if it were not so, I would have told you. But it is so. And I, the Lord Jesus Christ, go to prepare a place for you. And I will come again, and I will receive you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. The Lord Jesus Christ gave John a personal escort into heaven. Psalm 23, verses 1 and 4 say this, The Lord is the one who keeps on shepherding me. Therefore, I can't lack anything. And even though I walk through my very own death-shadowed valley, I cannot fear. You, Lord, with me. What is heaven like? The Lord tells us in Revelation chapter 21, verse 4, And the Lord Jesus Christ will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will no longer be any death, there will no longer be any mourning, there will no longer be any crying or pain. The first things, the tribulation from our lives on earth, have passed away. Any of the things that were weighing John down while he was here on earth are no longer a problem for him. One of my favorite presidents was John F. Kennedy. Like John, he had a magnetic personality and loads of charisma. And when his brother, Senator Edward Kennedy, eulogized him, he said words that have stuck in my head for six decades. He said, My brother need not be idealized, nor enlarged in death beyond what he was in life, but simply be remembered as a good and decent man. The same thing can be said about John. He had a magnetic personality, loads of charisma, and he was definitely a good and decent man. So let's take a moment to reflect on our relationship with John as we listen to a song. It's what all of us will feel one day. I feel like going on by the heartbeats.
here's what we'll be doing in today's celebration. Uh, we'll hear some memories, uh, reflections of those who loved him. So one of his best friends, Michael Sloan, and his caretaker and granddaughter, Andrea, will have some things to say. And you can have some things to say, too, if you're feeling a bit daring. <laughs> We'll hear some of his favorite music. Uh, we're going to hear John uh, Bergen play Amazing Grace on the bagpipes. We're going to hear the four tops. So there's John. We're going to hear the four tops sing Sugar Pie Honey Bunch. We're going to hear uh, Somewhere Beyond the Stars by Paul Lombard and his orchestra. We're going to hear Natalie Cole sing Our Love. We're going to hear the platters. Sing Smoke Gets in Your Eyes. These are all songs that John loved. And uh, we're going to hear uh, Robbie Williams' Beyond the Sea. So uh, that's what we're going to do. And then uh, we're going to have um, the gospel message, which is your chance to get to know what it takes to join John in heaven. And then we'll close with a memorial video uh, that we'll just uh, share some of the some of the highlights of John's life. Well, God has two attitudes toward us, mercy and grace. And in mercy, he doesn't give us what we deserve. He offers everyone eternal life instead of eternal condemnation, if you want it. And God is not in the habit of forcing his gifts on you. In grace, God gives you all the things you don't deserve. And one word that can be used to describe his grace is amazing. So let's hear... John Bergen, play Amazing Grace on the bagpipe.
Next, let's welcome up one of John's lifelong friends, Michael Sloan, to tell us some amazing stories about John's life. Um, <clears throat> this is really hard. <clears throat> I love the bagpipes. I just left the Irish celebration down in the middle of Phoenix to come up here. Started wearing my Irish shirt in. Um, I was, every telephone call that Wayne ever made to me, he made to his Irish friend. That's how he always referred to me. I was my Irish friend. And then he would say, <clears throat> how is your wife, Patty? Called her Lady Patricia. And uh, <clears throat> so anyway, I want you to read the obituary that's in the card that's in front of you. Uh, I'm not going to reread that to you because I want to tell you who Wayne Mature really was. Because what you read and who he was are just about like night and day. Uh, Wayne was very well educated, as you'll read here. Um, he was a teacher, he was an administrator. Um, but Wayne also was a person who had problems in his life and had to deal with them in, in various ways. But anyway, I want to start with, first of all, his name is Mercure. It's one of the most famous French names in France. There are a, a whole series of hotels all through France and parts of Germany, Belgium, the Mercure chain. It's a family that come from the south uh, eastern part of France. It's a very illustrious family. It's, it's not an ordinary family. And Wayne knew that, and he was so proud of being a mature. Uh, he asked me to paint his crest, and I made a couple of them. And I painted it for him because he wanted, he didn't really know, he knew what his crest was, but he, he really wanted something that was just something not out of a book. And so I painted both of those crests for him. Now, he also was a devout Christian, and he wanted a plate. I make great big round plates, and he wanted a cross on it. And so I, I made that plate for him, just because he wanted people to know that he was a Christian. Now, Wayne grew up going to the Catholic Church. I used to go to, I used to, go to Catholic Church with him. And I'm not even Catholic, I just go with him. Uh, well, me and he and a guy by the name of Pat Gonzalez, another real good friend of mine, um, we, we'd go and, and take lessons from the, from the priest there. Um, one time, this is the truth, Wayne and I were walking down the street, and he says, i got to go to confession. He says, Mike, why don't you go to confession? 
<laughs> I says, okay, Wayne. So I went in there and, and he went in the, the booth and he, he did what he had to do. And then it was my turn and I walked in there and shut the door and the guy slid the little thing back, the little curtain. And he said something and it scared me to death. Now I'm about, 10, about 11, 12 years old at that time. And I just turned around and ran right outside the booth. And Wayne says, well, what are you running for? I said, I don't want anything to do with that inside that booth. <laughs> but uh, anyway, Wayne and I have been friends, and I still, I said, Wayne and I have been friends for 71 years. I met Wayne when I, I moved to East Alamosa, and it was in the summer uh, when I was nine years old, 1953. And... Um, I know, 1954, and I walked down the street, and there was a little store there on the corner by the school, and in that corner was uh, Wayne Mercure. He's nine years old, and his dad, they were selling candy out of the store. That's where I met Wayne. From that moment on, we were just attached, it seemed like. Now, I'll give you a couple examples. Wayne was born in Pueblo, Colorado, January 8th. 1943. Michael Sloan was born in Pueblo, Colorado, January 30th, 1943. I was born in St. Mary Corwin Hospital. Wayne Richter was born in St. Mary Corwin Hospital, just 22 days apart. After I met Wayne, of course, for two or three years, we were in, in grade school, and so we didn't get to see each other because I, I lived on the wrong side of the river. If you've ever been to Alamosa, there's a river that goes right through the middle of it. It's called the Rio Grande River. Well, on the right side, or the east side, are the poor kids, really poor kids. That's where I lived. Wayne lived on the north side and the west side, which is where the rich kids went, except Wayne wasn't rich. He was, he was a poor person. His family were not wealthy uh, compared to some of the other people who lived in the neighborhood. But anyway, Wayne and I... Uh, we stayed in, in contact even as grade school kids playing football, uh, touch football and tackle football, which always started out as touch and ended up being tackle, um, for three or four or five years before we got into junior high. And then we got into junior high, and Wayne and I really reattached, and I mean really attached. And so we played sports together, uh, we chummed around together, we had fun together. Uh, we, we, we did things wrong together, <laughs> and, um, but, but we were just buddies. And, uh, but he still lived on the north side, and I still lived on the east side, and so I always had to cross over that Rio Grande River to go back home. But anyway, uh, um, Wayne was a really good basketball player. Uh, when I was a junior, we'd been on the same basketball team for years. When I was a junior, I got cut. But Wayne didn't. And Wayne went on to become All-State in basketball. Uh, for a long time, had the scoring record for Alamos High School. He doesn't today, but at, the, at that time. He was left-handed, and he, was a, he just really was a dead shot. He, he just really shoot the, foot, or the uh, basketball. Uh, I played football and baseball, uh, and Wayne tried to play football, but he never could make the first team. I was lucky I could. And we used to kid about that. Uh, that I was a better football player, but he was always a better basketball player, and we, we kidded around about that a lot. Um, 
We graduated from high school in 1961, from Alamos High School, and Wayne um, didn't receive a college scholarship. Um, I did, but he didn't. And, but we went to school anyway. And that same year, in 1961-62, we met two women. He met a Nancy, and I met a Nancy. His Nancy was from Monta Vista. My, my Nancy was from Monta Vista. The house that his Nancy lived in, and I told this story when, when she died, and, and did a little bit of the obituary there for her, uh, we lived in the same house, except I lived in it when I was in the first grade, and then she lived in it when she was in about the third or fourth grade. But the bedroom that I slept in was the same bedroom that his Nancy slept in. And I used to kid him. I'd say, Wayne, guess what? I remember I slept in the same bedroom with your wife. And, and he, uh, he'd, always get, he'd always get a chuckle out of that. But um, she was a beautiful girl. And, uh, and so Wayne and I... We went to college at Adams State, both majoring in history. And um, one of the things that we did while we were going to school, we, uh, we were very close to a college professor by the name of Bob Buchanan. Now, Bob Buchanan was a world history uh, teacher. He was a PhD in German history. And he had every Wednesday night We'd come over to his house, and he had a gathering where his wife would make cookies and so forth. And we would listen to uh, Radio um, Russia, Radio Cuba, uh, Radio BBC London. And we would listen to those for two or three hours every, every Wednesday night as we studied. Uh, we became really, really uh, adept at understanding European history and Wayne really liked European history. I tended to like more American history, but he loved European history. But anyway, uh, after we graduated from high school, we both went into teaching. And Wayne taught, and I taught in Alamosa. Um, Wayne eventually took on some additional degrees, as you'll read in the written obituary. Uh, he got his master's and his administrator's degree and became a vice principal at Alamos High School. Um, at that time, his wife left him. And under circumstances that were terrible, but Wayne survived that, and he had a tough time with it. And it just nearly cost him his life. But Wayne, with a lot of friends, one in particular, Terry Gibbs, who actually saved his life that day, um, Terry Gibbs, um, and I were two of the people that didn't abandon Wayne. We, uh, we, we, we kept in, in contact with him and went to see him while he was recovering. And um, but Nancy took off and went on into Florida and, and left his wife. And he never really remarried again. He never dated another Nancy. He never dated anybody else that I know of. He stayed as faithful to her just about as, as a man could get even though he wasn't married to her anymore. Well, eventually Nancy came back and uh, lived in Phoenix, and uh, Wayne had lived in Alamosa for a while and decided to move up to Phoenix, and he ended up living right across the street from Nancy, <laughs> and he took care of her, and he did. He took care of the place because Nancy was really struggling and suffering as well. So 
Um, during those times that um, Wayne was recovering and so forth, we used to spend a lot of time canoeing. And I had a canoe, and we would get in that canoe and we'd go clear up to Del Norte, Colorado, about uh, 34 miles from Alamosa. But if you take the Rio Grande River, which went like that, it's about over 100 miles. And we would get in that canoe and we'd head for Alamosa, paddling that canoe. Well, the very first time we ever did it, uh, we forgot that the Rio Grande isn't flat. That river isn't flat. About halfway through, there's a dam. And, um, and the water goes over that dam, and it's a waterfall. And so it was getting pretty dusk, and I'm up in the front of the, 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 the boat, and Wayne's in the back, because he's heavier. And uh, all of a sudden, I'm saying, Wayne, there's noise up here. Wait, what's this noise? It's a roaring sound. And he says, I don't know, as we went over the waterfall in, in the canoe. <laughs> and we lost everything. I lost my camera. I lost uh, everything we had. We had some lunch and so forth that we were going to eat. And we lost it all in the Rio Grande River. But we loved canoeing. And it was a, it was a way for us to kind of get away from the rest of the world. Because if you've never canoed down a river, that is the most silent it's like being in a balloon when you're flying in a balloon. There's hardly any sound at all except for the little sounds you make. And it's amazing. We'd see all kinds of things like muskrats and beavers and birds and, and, and ducks and geese and so forth. And uh, we just loved it. We loved doing that. Wayne loved the outdoors. Uh, in his obituary up here, they had a cabin up there on the Rio Grande River, on the south branch of the Colorado, or of the uh, Rio Grande River. And that's where he wants his ashes to be buried. I think that's where Nancy's ashes are buried. And that's where Brenda's, I think, are going to be buried as well. But anyway, uh, or spread. Anyway, he loved being in the outdoors because it was relaxing and refreshing to him. And he loved it. Um, one of the things that, uh, that Wayne taught me was that God is the most important thing in the world. Um, he had a Bible, and I don't know if we've ever found this Bible or not. It's wrapped up with rubber bands around and everything. He read it 160 times, I think he told me, from cover to cover. 180. The most, 180. <laughs> most of you are lucky if you read that thing once. But he, he, it, he had written in every column. He had put notes in it, stuff in it. All of it pertaining to what he believed God wanted him to believe and to accept. And believe it or not, I think without a doubt, uh, Wayne probably was as, as good or better a Christian than any man I have ever met in my life. And I'm serious about that. He loved God. He loved Jesus Christ, and he was—he uh, had left the Catholic Church and become very, very pro-born-again uh, um, type Christian. Uh, he loved that life more than anything that uh, you can imagine. Um, some of the things, of course, uh, when he taught in several schools uh, before. Um, just after Nancy had left him. But he, he taught Indians. He taught in the Indian system. 
<laughs> and we talked about uh, some of the, uh, the Indian schools that he taught in. <laughs> and that's different, way different than a normal school. These kids are a lot different. And, uh, but he loved them. He loved the little Indian kids, too, that he taught. And they were good for him. Um, one of the things that I think for a while we kind of separated, and he got away from me, particularly when I left, I was living, still living in Alamosa, and he'd moved down here to Phoenix or to Chandler. Um, about two or three years, uh, we didn't really communicate. And I missed him a little bit. But then when I moved to Phoenix, uh, I looked him up right away, and we began that connection that we had that uh, just was un unbond. It was a bond that just couldn't be, be broken. And uh, for the first years or two, I'd come and visit him, and I'd take him down to that little restaurant down the street from where he lived and played uh, 1960s music and 50s music. And, oh, we loved to sit in there and listen to the music, and uh, we'd love to go back there and see all the movie stars and so forth. Um, but there was an attachment to that, that part of life that he really enjoyed. He loved music, and he loved being born in the 1940s, living in the 50s and the 60s and the 70s. They were great times to live. Uh, Wayne and I were like Tom Sawyer. You read the book of Tom Sawyer. Well, Wayne was the same. We just, we'd get up in the morning and we'd go explore, go take off. And we had the Rio Grande River down there. He only lived about five blocks from it. And I lived two blocks from it. And my gosh, we could go and do anything we wanted to do on the river, catch uh, carp. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We could catch carp, um, which we usually speared them with a pitchfork. <laughs> but, or sometimes we just caught them with, uh, you know, just a, a line and, and um, an old worm or something. But uh, anyway, we, we enjoyed going close to that Rio Grande River. It was something very um, attached to us. And his life and music was attached to him as well. Those were good years for him. The hard years came later. And Wayne and I, um, I watched him deteriorate. His health got really, really bad. He was in such pain, he couldn't stand it, couldn't hardly get up out of his chair. I went to visit Andrea here the other day after he passed away, and I looked at that chair and it was empty. And it broke my heart. It broke my heart. Because in my opinion, he was a great man. A great man. And, uh, and I want... I've told him that a million times, but uh, he always thought I was greater than him. I don't care who he met, they were always better than him. He always referred to you as being the greatest thing on the, on the face of the earth. And that's the way Wayne was. He never had a, I don't think Wayne ever had an enemy, although he disliked a lot of people, uh, particularly if you were a Democrat. That, uh, <laughs> but anyway, uh, he, had, he had really good views about the Democratic Party. But, uh, but he was. He was very, uh, very uh, uh, pro-life. Uh, he was very um, Trumpish <laughs> in his political philosophy. And, and Wayne and I were a little different than that. And we'd get over in the house and, and we'd talk about that a lot. 
about the differences in the political parties we had and what we felt uh, was, was wrong with the country and what it was going to take to be, you know, make it right. I kept telling him, well, Wayne, once you run for president, you can straighten it out. And he'd say, no, you Irish friend, you run for president, you straighten it out. But uh, anyway, uh, we were pretty good about that, about having something in, that we could connect with every time we met besides Borrow's Pizza. So, and I'd always bring him Irish bread. Bring him a little bread of Irish bread. <laughs> and he would, uh, um, he'd always appreciate it. I never know whether he ate it or not. He always said it was really good. <laughs> and so I would always bring another loaf to him. But um, anyway, I met with him about two weeks before he died. And we discussed his death. And it was the hardest thing for me in the world to understand that Wayne hurt so bad, he just didn't want to live anymore. And, uh, and we discussed that. And uh, I told him, I don't know what I'm going to do without you, Wayne. 71 years. Uh, best friend I've ever had. Really, probably, maybe to some extent, the only really good friend I've ever had. I've had a lot of friends, but the only really good friend. And so it's, uh, it's really hard for me to to, uh, to leave him on this earth. I hate staying, and he's gone. But he's in a better place. And let me tell you what, uh, I, I told Patty, my wife, I really think um, he's in no pain, he's no anguish, he's not anxious, he's not afraid. He is absolutely with his Heavenly Father. And so I want you to celebrate Wayne Mercure, uh, knowing that he was bigger than life, and he was bigger than me. And uh, I don't know if any of you knew it, he was a weightlifter at one time. And uh, he deadlifted 550 pounds. He, uh, he bench pressed 350 pounds. And he, was, he and Terry Gibbs were just really animals when it came to lifting weights. And that was another side of Wayne Mature a lot of people didn't even know. Uh, he was, I mean, a prolific weightlifter and extremely strong. And I wouldn't have wanted to tangle with him in, a, in, a, in an alley. <laughs> and uh, I will tell you one, one final story here. Uh, when Wayne was dating his wife, Nancy, um, some of the boys in that area didn't particularly care for Wayne coming up to Monta Vista, 17 miles away, and dating Nancy. And uh, Nancy had had an old boyfriend, and he was kind of got the kids all riled up about Wayne coming up and dating her. So Wayne would pick me up, and we'd head to Monta Vista together. And we'd drive up and down the street a few times just to let them know we were in town. If they wanted <laughs> problems, we were ready. You just let us know. And uh, then we'd go pick up Nancy and drive around and, and uh, enjoy things as kids did. But, um, but Wayne was that way. If, if he and I, if either one of us had a problem, we always made sure that we, were, we had each other's back. Now, I love Wayne Mercure, and I want you to know this obituary that you have here tells you the really finer points of his life. And I hope I've given you just a little bit of an indication that Wayne was human.
and that he was as kind and good as any man I've ever seen. And if you don't believe it, come to my house. I must have 30 swords on the wall. <laughs> I don't know how many helmets I have. I have Russian helmets, I have German helmets, I have helmets that were used in the Civil War, helmets that were used in, in the Hundred Years' War. But that's the type of person that he'd walk in and he'd say, Mike, I got a gift for you. And he knew I was a Mason. I was a 32nd degree Mason. And I've got Masonic clocks, I've got Masonic knives, I've got Masonic emblems, I've got Masonic stuff that he gave to me. And, and Wayne didn't have a lot of money, but he always had a gift for me every time I came. And I'll love the man forever and ever and ever because he was my friend. And I say these things very humbly knowing that Jesus Christ has him underneath his wing right now. And I say this, amen. amen. Well, Michael, thank you very much for that very touching and heartfelt account of a, of a man. It's really nice to have a seven-decade friend. I was sitting back there wondering who's going to tell that story for me, right? So, And I don't think there are any people who can tell that story for me, so I'll just have it. Yeah, let's hope so. Um, Another lifelong friend, as you mentioned, was Terry Gibbs, and I know that Terry would be here today if he could. He's the third of the three musketeers, as John used to put it, and uh, Terry's in our prayers for good health and happiness every day. Well, love, intense love for those he cared about was the theme of John's life. Let's listen to one of his favorite songs, I Can't Help Myself. Also known as Sugar Pie Honey Munch.
saying, I don't know who taught me how to read, but I do know that my grandfather is the person who taught me how to love to read. Um, we used to spend hours and hours reading, you know, all kinds of things, things from medical dictionaries, law dictionaries, so I think it's a bit fitting today that I do a reading, um, something that I know he loved, a poem, Ulysses, by Alfred Lord Tennyson. Um, he'd be really proud to have me read this today. It little profits that an idle king, by this still hearth, among these barren crags, matched with an aged wife, I meet and dole unequal laws unto a savage race that hoard and sleep and feed and know not me. I cannot rest from travel. I will drink life to the lees. All times I have enjoyed, greatly have suffered greatly, but, though, but with those that loved me and alone on shore and when through scuttling drifts the rainy Hades, vex the dim sea, I am become a name. For always roaming with a hungry heart, much have I seen and known, cities of men and manners, climates, councils, governments, myself not least, but honored of them all, and drunk delight of battle with my peers, far on the ringing plains of windy Troy. I am part of all that I have met, yet all experience is an arch where through gleams that untraveled world whose margin fades forever and forever when I move. How dull it is to pause, to make an end, to rust unburnished, not to shine in use, as though to breathe were life, life piled on life were all too little, and of one to me little remains. But every hour is saved from that eternal silence, something more, a bringer of new things, and vile it were, for some three sons to store and hoard myself, and this gray spirit yearning in desire, to follow knowledge like a sinking star, beyond the utmost bound of human thought. This is my son, mine own Telemachus, to whom I leave the scepter and the isle, well loved of me, discerning to fulfill this labor by slow prudence to make mild a rugged people and throw soft degrees, subdue them to the, use, to the useful and the good. Most blameless is he, centered in the sphere of common duties, decent not to fail, in offices of tenderness and pay meet adoration to my household gods. When I am gone, he works, he works his work, I mine. There lies the port, the vessel puffs her sail, there gloom the dark, broad seas. My mariners, souls that have toiled and wrought and thought with me, that ever with a frolic welcome took the thunder and the sunshine and opposed free hearts, free foreheads, and you and I are old. Old age hath yet his honor and his toil. Death closes all, but something, but something ere the end. Some work of noble note may yet be done, not unbecoming men that strove with gods. The light begins to twinkle from the rocks. The long day wanes, the slow moon climbs, the deep moans round with many voices. Come, my friends, tis not too late to, see a, to seek a newer world. Push off and sitting well in order smite the sounding furrows for my purpose holds to sail beyond the sunset and the baths of all the western stars until I die. It may be that the gulfs will wash us down. It may be we shall touch the happy isles and see the great Achilles whom we, kn whom we knew. Though much is taken, much abides. And though we are not now that strength which in old days moved earth and heaven, that which we are, we are. One equal temper of heroic hearts made weak by time and fate but strong in will to strive, to seek, to find, 
and not to yield. Thank you. you for taking me back to my high school days when I read that awful book, <laughs> Ulysses, which had the final chapter with no punctuation, and I had to translate it from its original language under the, the oppressive thumb of the Jesuits. <laughs> but John loved things like that, and he loved words, and he would be very proud that you shared that with us. Next up is John's, another one of John's loving granddaughters and his caretaker, Andrea Corona. <laughs> Come on up. You're welcome. Okay, thank you. Okay. <clears throat> so, um, my grandfather, um, he told me many times in his life that he fought to be a righteous man. So, a righteous man, what righteous means, if you would look it up in the dictionary, um, righteous means to be honorable, to be, um, to be noble, to be ethical, spiritual, honorable, pure. All are words that come along with my grandfather, but he was so much more than that. He was, um, a great teacher, so lovable. Um, he taught, he had a major role in teaching all and me and my sisters a lot of things. How to read and write, how to uh, play chess, took us to the park, took us to uh, the, library. the library, all kinds, <laughs> so, so many things, so many things. And, uh, he was just a really good man. The best of men that you could ever, if you could put a man on a pedestal, he was the best of men that you could describe. He loved us. He, he always told me that it was his honor and his privilege to teach me and my sisters what he taught us. Um, he taught us how to read and write, how to play chess, how to uh, play basketball, how to just do anything, you know, be a, a upstanding woman, you know. Um, such a good man he was, and he had so many uh, great qualities. Um, he, uh, he had a very spiritual side of him, my grandfather, and he very, uh, um, I, I'm not trying, I can't think of the word, but he would, every 
day he would read three chapters of the Bible every day. He was very uh, strict on that. Yeah, so very spiritual. He was a really good man. He had um, so much spirit in his life, and he... Uh, once my once my mom was gone and once my grandma my grandmother was gone, I know he really uh wanted to be with them so bad, so I'm very thankful that he's back with them again and he's uh not in any pain anymore and he was just the greatest man that you could ever meet. Ever, ever me, and uh, I'm very grateful that he was in our lives and in the lives of me and my sisters. He taught us everything that we know, basically, and uh, I will always remember him. We'll always be dancing in the streets because of him. <laughs> yep, that's the truth. We'll always be, uh, you know, uh, everything because of him. He helped me so much through the loss of my mom. He helped me through so much of everything because he was the strongest man I ever met in my whole entire life. The strongest man I ever met. And he's with my mom now. He's with my grandma now. He's with his parents now. He's with everybody now that he needs to be. And I'm just so grateful that the father has given up the sacrifice of his son, his only begotten son, for us to give that opportunity to be with our loved ones again. And when it's my time, I'll be with him again. When it's all our times, we'll be with our loved ones again. And he's looking down on us right now. He's so thankful that Mike Sloan, I know, like his heart is just swelling with so much pride because that Mike Sloan came and gave that, gave that uh, testimony that he gave. Um, he's, the most faithful man that I've ever met in my whole life. Um, I know he's right there with my mom, with my grandma, with his parents, with everybody that he's missing right now. He's with them right now, and he's so thankful and so happy that we're right here looking over and just here with him. And... I say all these things in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, amen. Amen. I bought everything you said except the basketball thing. You're kind of little, you know. I, I'm not so sure, <laughs> not so sure about the basketball thing, but the rest of it, it was absolutely beautiful. So thank you for sharing that because uh, your grandpa was definitely an amazing human being. So let's listen to another one of his favorite songs uh, by Paul Paul Lombard and his orchestra. It's called Somewhere Beyond the Stars.
that must be something only love could do. For I never heard that music till I met you. You're the gold that lies at the rainbow's end. The John's new home, Somewhere Beyond the Stars. Well, John is not dead. He's no longer on the earth. The soul once born never dies, and each of us gets to choose where we spend eternity. So in the closing moments of this celebration, I know John would want you to get, to, to get yourself ready to meet him in heaven at a future time. Well, how do you get to heaven? We want you to know that God wants you. And what he wants from you is that you make the most important decision of your life. You are one of God's creatures. And if you choose, you can be a child of God. John chapter 1 verse 12 says this, As many as received the invitation from Jesus to be saved, to them he gave the right to become children of God the Father, even to those who believe in Jesus' name. And at the moment that you accept that invitation, you become righteous. So John got his wish. He was righteous because God imputed his righteousness to John at the moment of his salvation. The problem is that you may think the Lord is like our human parents, emotional, arbitrary, and sentimental. Our parents tell us what to do. We do the opposite, and they let us off the hook. Well, your divine parent, the Lord Jesus Christ, does not operate that way. Matthew chapter 7, verses 
24 to 27 say this, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them, and this is Jesus Christ speaking, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them may be compared to a wise man who built his house on the rock. Matthew 24, 25, And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and slammed against that house, and yet it did not fall, for it had been founded on the rock. Matthew 24, 26, everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. Matthew 24, 27, the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and slammed against that house and it fell and great was its fall. God is inviting you to be saved. He tells you exactly what you have to do to be saved. And God says there is only one way to heaven. In John chapter 14, verse 6, he said, Jesus said, I am the way to salvation. I am the truth through the gospel message and the word of God, and I am the resurrection life, eternal life. And no one comes to God the Father in heaven but through believing in me. God has a plan for your salvation. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 21, the Lord says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter into the kingdom of heaven. Well, what is the will of God the Father for your salvation? It's extremely simple. It's not complicated at all. Acts 16.31 Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ at a moment in time and you will be saved once and for all time. You and everyone in your household who also believe. It takes about 30 seconds of your time to be saved. You simply turn to the God who saves you and ask for salvation. You can do it right this minute. The Apostle Paul describes the Lord Jesus Christ in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 and 4. It says this, I, Paul, deliver to you as of primary importance the gospel message I also received from God, that it was Jesus Christ who died For our sins, according to the Old Testament scriptures, and he was buried and he was raised from the dead on the third day, according to the Old Testament scriptures. A lot of people try to say that Jesus Christ is just one of the uh, one of the other enlightened ones. And he's just another guy like every other guy. And he was just a really good prophet and a really good rabbi. No, that's not true at all. That sign behind my head tells it all. He is God. And he is the only way to salvation. And if you ignore God's offer of salvation, there are consequences. And not because God wants it that way, because you've chosen to have it be that way. Revelation chapter 21 verse 8 says this, But for the cowardly and unbelieving, and abominable and murderers, and immoral persons, and sorcerers, and idolaters, and all liars, and all of those things are references to unbelievers. That's a reference to a lifestyle, not to believers in Christ. Their part will be in that lake that burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. There's spiritual death. We're born spiritually dead, and there is the second death, the second death in the lake of fire for those who reject a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. That's completely up to you. So we encourage you to accept the invitation and heed the warning of John chapter 3, verse 36. He who believes in the Son has the resurrection life right at that moment, 
That is not a future event. That's an immediate event. But he who does not obey the command to believe in the Son will not see the resurrection life. Instead, the wrath of God, the lake of fire, abides on him. So sin requires the wrath of God. You can do it yourself, which I don't recommend at all, or you let Jesus Christ do it for you at the cross, and he was happy to do that. When you believe, you simply take God's word for it concerning what it takes to be saved. Do it right now, and you'll be saved for all time. We celebrate John Wayne Mercure today. And it was funny, uh, Michael, that you mentioned those Mercure hotels because I've done a lot of work throughout Europe, and I've stayed in those hotels a lot of times and never mentally connected for me that that was his family. But a man, John was a man who was many things. He was a believer in Christ. He was a man of faith. He was a protector. He was a martial artist. He was a son who loved his parents and would do anything they asked of him. He was a loving and devoted husband. He was a father. He was a grandfather. He was a great-grandfather. He was a teacher, a historian, a friend, a man who ate well, who enjoyed living, (laughs) who enjoyed living, who loved deeply, a man who was physically fit, a fisherman, a basketballer, a swimmer, a skilled craftsman with textures, a generous person giving of his time, talent, and treasure, and a man who loved his family intensely. This is a celebration. Yeah, right? (laughs) That's a lot of things to be. This is a celebration because we get to enjoy a victory. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 53 to 57 say this, This perishable, our physical bodies, must put on the imperishable. For believers in Christ, a perfect resurrection body. And this mortal, our life on earth, must put on immortality, our life in heaven. 1 Corinthians 15, 54, But when this perishable will have put on the imperishable, and this mortal will have put on immortality. Then will come about the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Death's power is completely removed by death. 1 Corinthians 15, 55, O physical death, where is your victory? O physical death, where is your sting? Believers in Christ taunt physical death because we know that it is putting off something that was bothering us for a really long time, something that was giving us very much pain. 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty six: The sting of physical death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty seven: But thanks be to God the Father, who gives us believers in Christ the victory through our Lord Jesus the Christ. John would want to say farewell for now for those friends and family who have yet to depart from the earth. And your names are written indelibly on his heart. From all the members of Barah Ministries, we pass on to John's family members our heartfelt condolences. You love John, and we did too. This is a sad day for us, but a happy eternity for John. Let's close with a video 
to help us remember the special parts of his life. Amen. Amen. Another perfect day You're the 
Set free. 
God bless us, everyone. Et me qui vous aime. Thank you for listening. Au revoir, mes amis. Well, let's close in prayer. Almighty God and Father, you chose to bring every one of us to earth in eternity past. And you knew that our dilemma in this life would be our attitude toward having a relationship with your Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And you sent your Son to earth to solve the sin problem, which kept us out of relationship with you. You made it simple to be saved. No beliefs necessary no religious rituals necessary, no phoniness necessary, just a simple choice to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ at a single moment in time like right now. Make that simplicity clear to everyone who hears this celebration message. Make us eager to join John and you in heaven at a future time and bless us with your spiritual wisdom while we're here on earth. We ask this through the power of God the Holy Spirit. In Christ's name, say it with me. Amen. Amen. Got any biblical questions? Ask the pastor, pastor at baradministries.com. Let's keep on celebrating life. Thanks for coming. Thanks for watching. And thanks for listening.